hate it when someone just won't make a decision. <laughs> you know, we're all called upon to make decisions every day, and some are hard to make. You know, the possible consequences of a wrong decision frighten us. But the refusal to make a decision can sometimes be worse than making a wrong decision. And it's frustrating, especially when the one refusing to decide is in a position of authority over us. I, I know the kids used to get upset when we wouldn't give them a decision as quickly as they wanted. Now, we weren't refusing to decide. We were merely in the process of deciding. And sometimes it does take time to make an informed decision. You know, my standard way of dealing with the kids' impatience was if you need a decision now, the answer is no. And sometimes that worked. But you know, there are those who simply put off making a decision indefinitely. And that is very frustrating. Well, Paul found that frustration before Felix. But as frustrating as it was for Paul, his refusal to decide proved even more tragic for Felix. Let's pick up our study in the 24th chapter of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul had been rescued from a mob in Jerusalem and spirited away by night to Caesarea, the provincial capital, uh, after a plot was uncovered to assassinate him. He now stands before Felix, the Roman governor, who has some decisions to make. You know, charges are brought against Paul by the high priest Ananias through Tertullus, a, a slick lawyer who had a real way with words. Let's go to the courtroom. Acts 24. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders with a certain attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. And after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you further. I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing, for we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him and we wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias the commander came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. And by examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. 
And the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. Well, Tertullus began by trying to gain Felix's favor through flattery, making it sound as if he was much loved and appreciated by the uh, Jewish community. Now, this could not have been further from the truth. Felix was, in fact, a very cruel and violent man. He and his brother, Pallas, had been slaves in the household of Antonia, the mother of Claudius, but had been freed by her. Pallas then became a, a confidant and counselor to Emperor Claudius, and through his influence, Felix had become a government official in Samaria and eventually the governor of Judea. Well, during his governorship, insurrections and anarchy increased throughout Palestine, and he repeatedly crucified leaders of various uprisings and slaughtered their followers in an attempt to gain peace, but only to fan the flames of, of rebellion. The historian Tacitus described him as a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. So Tertullus was doing nothing more than kissing up when he said in every way and everywhere the Jews were thankful for the peace he had attained and reforms he had made. And Felix knew what was going on. But he also knew that it would sound good in a report sent to Rome. So he was glad to hear it. Tertullus then said he would be brief so as not to take much of Felix's time and appealed to his kindness to hear the charges brought against Paul. Charges he summarized by saying Paul was a real pest. He was a pestilence, a plague, an epidemic. And then he did give three specific accusations. First, he accused Paul of stirring up dissension among the Jews throughout the Roman world. Now, he wasn't saying Paul was simply a problem for the Jews. That he was causing dissension between Jews to Roman ears. He was saying that Paul was stirring up Jews to rebellion against Rome. That he was a very dangerous character. Then he said Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, interestingly, this is the first time Nazarenes was used to refer to followers of Jesus. And he used it to distance Paul's teaching from Judaism, which was a legal religion in the Roman Empire, and to brand it as an illegal religion that hadn't been sanctioned and should therefore be squashed by Felix. Lastly, he said, Paul tried to desecrate the temple. Now, this is interesting. He didn't actually say Paul desecrated the temple, but that he was trying to do so when they had arrested him. And that they were going to take care of it themselves, but Lysias, the commander of the garrison stationed at the temple, had, had interceded. And it was his interference that had forced them to take up Felix's time with an issue they would have taken care of by themselves. Of course, he doesn't mention that Paul was being beaten to death when Lysias intervened. He concluded by saying that 
He was certain Felix would be able to ascertain all these charges were true if he would just check them out for himself. But he didn't give any evidence, eyewitnesses, or proof. Only charges and assertions. Now, Felix could no doubt see through the sham. Now, he may have been a scoundrel, but he could tell that the case had no merit whatsoever. That Paul had been brought before him simply because the Jewish leaders considered him a pest. So he gave Paul an opportunity to defend himself. Verses 10 through 21. And when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. And after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. There were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council, other than for this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Well, the governor nodded and Paul began. Now, he was polite and respectful. He was even complimentary, but what he said was true. Now, Felix had been a judge in Palestine long enough to understand the real issue at hand. And he had to have seen through the shallow case that Tertullus had tried to embellish. Paul then began answering the charges, just one, one by one. As to the charge that he'd been stirring up dissension, he pointed out that he hadn't had time to cause much trouble in Jerusalem, even if he had wanted to, having arrived only 12 days earlier, and he'd been in Caesarea at least five of those days. Besides, when he went to the temple, he went to worship, not to cause trouble. He didn't even get into a discussion with anyone while there, let alone cause a riot, and they had offered no evidence to the contrary. As to the charge that he was a ringleader of a sect, he made clear that his beliefs were in line with the law and the prophets. They were, in fact, the fulfillment of all they had said, and that he served the God 
of the patriarchs. Even his hope in the resurrection was shared by some of the Jews standing before Felix. And it was belief in the resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, belief in a future judgment that kept his behavior in line, that motivated him to maintain a blameless conscience before God and man. What he believed was not the dangerous beliefs of a sect. And finally, as to the charge of trying to desecrate the temple, he had been presenting offerings when arrested. He hadn't come to town to cause trouble. He had come to Jerusalem to bring alms that he had collected for the Jewish Christians. And he had gone to the temple to present offerings. That's what he was doing without a crowd or uproar until Jews from Asia who should have been there to accuse him in person if they'd found him doing anything wrong started causing trouble. But they weren't present. And the council hadn't found him guilty of anything when he stood before them. Except, of course, that he had brought up a doctrinal issue that had long divided the council itself, belief in the resurrection. Now, this was an excellent defense. He had no time to prepare, but he had answered each charge beautifully. Of course, Jesus had told the apostles not to worry about defending themselves when called before the authorities, that he would give them the wisdom and the words to use. And he certainly did so for Paul. Well, Felix could see that the charges were trumped up with no substance. And that Paul had answered every charge more than adequately. This should have been an easy case for Felix to decide. Well, let's check out his decision. 22 through 27. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. And he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. And said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Now, Luke notes that Felix had an exact knowledge about the way. You know, he knew about Christianity. That was the way he's talking about. And he knew the difference between Jewish and Christian beliefs. He knew what was going on. And he had the knowledge needed to make an informed decision. He knew what to do. 
But he chose instead to procrastinate. He put them off. He said, ah, when Lysias comes, then I'll decide. Now, there are times when we should postpone a decision, when we need more information or need more time to discern the Lord's will in a matter. If that's the case, we should take time. But if we have what we need to make a decision, it's decision time. Felix had all that he needed. He just didn't want to make a decision. He knew his decision would be unpopular, perhaps even cause trouble for the Jews. So he sought to avoid an unpleasant situation. And he did so by making an unjustifiable compromise. He decided to keep Paul in custody, but allow him some freedom so his friends could minister to him. He avoided doing what he knew he should do. And you know, that seems to have been a pattern in his life. For we see it again when the decision gets more personal. When confronted with his sin, he again chose to put off making a decision. Some days later, Felix and his wife Drusilla sent for Paul. And Drusilla was an interesting woman in her own right. She was a Jewess, and some manuscripts indicate she was the one who really wanted to meet Paul. She was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, the king who had put James to death and had imprisoned Peter, who, according to Acts 12, was shortly thereafter struck by an angel. Now, not touched by an angel, but struck by an angel for not giving glory to God and was eaten by worms and died. Drusilla was six years old at the time. When she was around 12, she was betrothed to a prince in Eastern Asia Minor, but those plans were canceled when he refused to embrace the Jewish faith. Her brother then gave her in marriage at 15 to Azizus the king of Emesa, a small kingdom in Syria, who did agree to become Jewish. That marriage, however, only lasted a year because when Felix came to visit, he was so taken with her beauty that he hired a magician to help him win her away from her husband. She's now 20 years old and the third wife of Felix. His first wife, a granddaughter of Anthony and Cleopatra, had, interestingly, also been named Drusilla. Anyway, when Felix returned to Caesarea with Drusilla, they called for Paul to appear before them. And he took the opportunity to tell of his faith in Christ. But he quickly went from preaching to meddling and started talking about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, and made Felix and Drusilla nervous. In fact, Felix became frightened by what Paul was saying. He came under conviction. He knew his lack of righteousness and self-control would condemn him before the judgment seat of God. 
But unlike the Jews who came under conviction on the day of Pentecost and cried, What must I do to be saved? He did what he had done earlier with Paul. He put off making a decision. He said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I'll summon you. And he did summon Paul quite often. Apparently, Drusilla had heard all she wanted to hear, but Felix conversed with Paul often, motivated in part by the hope that he might be able to extort some money from him. During their conversations, Paul, no doubt, went back to the themes of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. But the conviction had passed. And Felix's heart had been hardened. You see, once the decision had been made to avoid making a decision, it got easier and easier to avoid. And eventually, I'm sure, he didn't even hear what Paul was saying. The same thing happens today. If you hear the gospel and come under conviction, you better act on it then and there. Because if you put it off, the next time you hear it, it'll be easier to put it off than it was the first time. And before long, you'll block out anything the preacher says that you know you should have done a long time ago. You know, I've got a feeling that there are a number of people who ignore the need to be baptized because they put it off when they first came under conviction that they should do it. You know, if you don't understand something and need more information, by all means explore it further. Ask questions and search for answers in God's Word. But then do what you discover you should do. Don't put off doing what you know you should do, thinking you'll get around to it someday. That day may never come. The day of opportunity may slip by before you expect. It happened to Felix. In less than two years, he was called to appear before Nero for bungling and uprising between Jews and Gentiles. His life was spared by the intervention of his brother, but he slipped away from history and lost the opportunity to do the right thing for Paul or for himself because he had decided not to decide when it was decision time. Now, what about you this morning? Is it decision time for you? If it is, don't let it pass by. If you know you need to respond to the gospel, do it. If you know you need to be immersed, do it. 
If you know you need to make a change in your life, now is the time to do it. If you're under conviction, don't let the conviction die by putting it off. If you've decided to follow Jesus, let that decision be made known.